You're listening to Tabletop Bellhop Live, recorded November 28th, 2018. Episode 18, Rock Me Daniel Zayas. We chat about Tetris and the future of game marketing, along with a lot of info about crowdfunding, how it works, and how it doesn't. Listen through to get a special code word for an additional entry to our Quiver Time giveaway. Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Bellhop Live, episode 18, Rock Me Daniel Zayas. Coming to you from Hamilton, I'm Sean, and here with me live and direct from Windsor, Ontario, the tabletop bellhop himself, Mo T. I am the tabletop bellhop, your cardboard concierge, the RPG maitre d', answering your game and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I would also like to welcome Daniel Zayas of Zayas Games. Welcome, Daniel, to the tabletop bellhop. Thank you for having me. This is fun. (laughs) We're going to be talking to Daniel during our usual Ask the Bellhop section of the show, but we do welcome you to join in for the rest of the discussion. Feel free to jump in if you have anything to add. All right, and I'd like to say hi to everyone in the lobby here on Twitch. We're here live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Now, we love hearing from our listeners and viewers. Each week, we like to highlight some of that feedback, both positive and negative. We get better with your comments and suggestions, and if you'd like to let us know something about the show, send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com. That's S-E-A-N. You should also feel free to reach out on social media. Just look for Tabletop Bellhop one word pretty much everywhere there is out on the net. I was reminded today that we actually do have a Tumblr account. Phil Hatfield commented about Shadows Over Camelot. I still consider Shadows Over Camelot the best game in the category of hidden trader games. This one did it right, in my opinion. The fact that you have a game where the trader card is included, but it's the one card that no one ended up picking up is just a kick in the pants. We played one game where we were sure one person and then another person was the trader. We ended up losing the game because our own paranoia, because there was no trader. Games like these with the trader mechanic either focus too heavily on it, or they throw in multiple chances of a trader. I'm looking at you, Battlestar Galactica. And in my opinion, those decisions really miss the wonderful nuances that were in Shadows Over Camelot. Well, thanks, Phil. I fully understand what you're saying about the trader. Its potential is as powerful as its existence, unlike knowing it's there with some other games. Now, Isaac Kuo on G+, writes about Shadows. The trader mechanism is really cool, even if it feels like an odd fit with the Camelot theme. It's a perfect fit for BSG, of course, and I've been toying with an idea on how to apply the concepts to a not-Cthulhu theme. All players start sane and cooperate for a shared good and win, but any player that goes insane becomes a secret cultist and can no longer share a good and win. That player can instead achieve a bad and win by summoning the cult's old one. Note each PC is associated with a different cult, so any bad and win is only an individual win. Isaac goes on to describe the actual mechanics he will use for this. Thanks for the comic, Isaac. I think the traitor thing actually fits great with Camelot. Like, what about Lancelot, who's driven mad by the conflict over his love of Guinevere and his loyalty to Arthur? It leads to a civil war. Surely that's a hidden traitor right there. Now, as for your not-Cthulhu-themed game, that does sound pretty cool. We've got a ton of suggestions for must-have game accessories after our last episode. What are must-have game accessories? Here's a quick list, starting with Ryan Peach. A pack of golf pencils. I really don't understand why all these games that come with score pads don't include at least one golf pencil. Gary Oki at GPR underscore Gar on Twitter. Bowls and Monster Cups are a necessity when playing Eldritch Horror. So I think that's at RPG underscore Gar ah, on sorry. Twitter. 
Phil Hatfield on MeWe writes, definitely a dice tray. Need a safe place to roll those dice to avoid knocking into the game. Paige West on Facebook. I store my components in really useful boxes. They replace my baggies. John Carney wrote on MeWe to say, I'm afraid to buy the salad bowls because I just put salad in them. I'm a monster. I don't know, John. My love of gaming beats out my love of salad, but to each their own. That was a lot of great component suggestions. If you're going to use your salad bowls for eating as well as gaming, just be sure to wash them. Salad is killing people these days, after all. (laughs) That's true. Now, one final general feedback comment from Michael's Bacar on Facebook, and I have no idea how to actually pronounce that. I'm just going to say Bacar. I enjoy (laughs) your perspective of someone in the community rather than in the business. It sounds very real, as if one of your friends asks you for gaming advice, and you guys are just sitting around the table talking. I like it. That's awesome feedback, Michael. Feedback like this makes me very happy because this means we're doing it right. Like that was the goal of the show. A couple friends sitting around talking games and answering game questions, trying to make people's game experiences better. We're not an official sanctioned podcast. We don't work for one of the game companies. We're not trying to promote any agenda other than get more people out gaming. So I got to ask, Daniel, what do you think? What are must-have gaming accessories? What do you have to have at your table to make game night better? That is that is a interesting question. Um, lately in the threads on Facebook, you have a lot of people talking about how – I come from the world of Kickstarter mostly. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of people talking about what stretch goals they want in their game. And like the creator had this idea of what the game might be without stretch goals and then because of the success of the campaign they'll add in a bunch of things Mm -hmm. and usually the component upgrades that are most sought after are going to be something like game trays or um at the very least upgraded to plastic inserts right Right. um which isn't really a gameplay component but definitely adds to the experience even the the boards now are becoming these like plastic components if you saw like the latest um, Title Blades Kickstarter campaign or Fireball Island is probably like the mm-hmm. best example of that. So these 3D things coming up off the table, um, I think is a good trend that's happening. That's Actually, that's my that's my usual thing that I look for is an as an extra is will my game be housed properly? That's cool. Yeah. When you mentioned about organizers being the thing, so on our last episode we were talking about must have components, and that was our number one was some way to organize all the bits so that you're not searching for stuff in the middle of the game and stuff's not all in a baggie and you got to dump it out and sort it before you play. Everything's just ready to go, easy to access, so every player can reach everything while playing. So Wasteland Express is a really good example of that, too, where you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of bits, so like everything you need is very organized. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff in that. Um, Endeavor, the latest version of that. Which yep, also Endeavor has, uh, is the same thing. The exactly. player board with the inset player board mm-hmm. so stuff doesn't shift around. Exactly, yes. And now, Tabletop Gaming Weekly, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last year. What games hit the Bellhop's tabletop? Every week, I like to take a look back at the games we played, any events we attended, and other cool gaming stuff that's going on. You can catch the blog version of This Week in Review at tabletopbellhop.com. So the big thing this weekend, obviously, was Black Cyber Thanksgiving. It's Thursday night in Canada. Sales everywhere. Everyone just started them a month ago, and they're going to run for another six months. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Weekend of deals. Um, Myself and Anshi Games were swamped this year 
trying to promote deals. Um, as of this year, affiliate sales are a big part of our income now. And we decided to try to give it our best this weekend to promote them more than we ever have before. So it is the biggest shopping weekend of the year, and we are trying to take advantage of that. It is crazy what goes on in retail these days. And sadly, there are a lot of retailers who mislead people with sales. Uh, and having someone who can cut through the numbers and give a real perspective on whether something is a good price or not makes a big difference. Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Like the deals we're putting out, we're not just sharing every deal we can find. These are curated deals, right? We're doing the research. We're finding out that it's the best online price or the lowest price Amazon's ever had, for example. Doing this took up like the entire weekend. Like we were up all weekend. Um, if you've been on tabletopbellhop.com, you would have noticed that there's a new link on the page to various geek guides we are doing. We basically made shopping guides for 20 different geeky and gaming sites and eventually did a separate tabletop-specific list of gaming deals. Now, I'm not going to go into all this here. I'm not here to sell you stuff on the podcast. That's not what the podcast is about. We're here to answer your game night questions, but feel free to stop by the blog and check them out. The link's still there. It's going to be up for at least the rest of this week, which we're Cyber Monday week, whatever we're calling it. But I think it may be become a part of the site, maybe as the tabletop bellhop personal shopper or some other type of shopping service where we're going to provide this. Because as I did mention, this is now a significant portion of our income. So what did you buy holidays? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So what did you buy? Yes. So I got to ask, Daniel, do you any Black Friday, Cyber Monday shopping? You know what I did? I participated in the board game Spotlight's Secret Santa. Okay. And I had um, – so so you caught me actually at the tail end of a, of a, a lot of traveling. I went from uh, BGG uh, – well, Essen before that, but then BGG and then um, – I moved my family from Northwest Florida to uh, Denver, Colorado. Wow. I was doing that all of Thanksgiving week. <laughs> oh, and, and so I'm kind of like sitting in an empty house, to be perfectly honest, uh, <laughs> except for a couple of the Ikea things that we went and bought for Black Friday. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then I also um, mentioned before that I was participating in a Secret Santa. And I, in all of that traveling, I had forgotten to actually buy the gift. So I did go on to Amazon and get some of the games that uh, my my uh, recipient had on their list. No, nope. very cool. Yeah. Excellent. That's uh, you've obviously been pretty busy uh, and, and uh, racking up quite the frequent flyer miles. <laughs> yeah. Yes, actually. Well, I travel a lot for work, so I get that anyway. But I also I had a I drove everyone to it was a caravan of us uh, driving from Florida to Colorado. It was interesting. <laughs> I know watching your Facebook feed over the last couple of weeks, it's Daniel hugging this game designer and Daniel with these guys at this oh, thing. And I'm yeah. like, man, it looks like you've been at cons for a month. <laughs> I've been, yeah, it, it's a busy, it's the busy time of the year, right? For all of the conventions season. Um, I'm next or tomorrow I fly out to Philadelphia for PAX Unplugged. PAX U, yeah. So, yep. So I'll be there. And then um, in December, I'm doing a Southern California tour of all of the the publishers who we work with and wow. I'm going to go take a look at their headquarters and see what's going on there. And that's going to be fun too. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So with all the deal hunting, uh, and she games and I did this weekend, I didn't get my much gaming in, but I did get in one game. It was mid Sunday. I needed a break. I 
been up for way too many hours. I was taking a few naps here and there, but like no more than two hours at a time. And I just found an amazing deal on Blockus. I was going to pimp it here, but the, the deal's done, unfortunately. But man, it was a, a good deal. And I'm like, oh, I haven't played Blockus in a long time. And last time we played, little G like just played with it. She didn't play the game. She just played with the pieces. And I'm like, oh, I bet you she's old enough. So I broke out that game. So- we played a three-player game with both girls. So my memory was right. This game is fantastic. Like this is a mass market, big piece of plastic with a bunch of uh, polyominoes, Tetris style pieces that you're putting on the grid. So there's a big grid. I forget how many it is. It's like 20 by 20. So 400 squares. And you're putting out little grids and your pieces are up to six cubes big. And then there's five cube pieces, four cube, three cube and two cube and one cube pieces. And the goal is to try to play all your pieces. And then you start off, your first piece has to go in one of the corners. But then after that, when you play your piece, it has to be diagonally adjacent to one of your existing pieces. And it can't be orthogonally adjacent to any of your existing pieces. And at first, it seems really simple until you start getting where the other players are. And then you start noticing these neat moves where you kind of jump in diagonally to get out of being cut off. Like it is, it is a really neat game, and it's. I realize it's totally a cliche to say it, but it's one of those games that's minutes to teach, lifetime to master. Like sure. that totally applies, though. Like I hate saying it, but in this case, that is so. This game, I really dig this game. There aren't many mass market games that I love. That I'm going to tell you to go to your WalMarts, your Targets, your anywhere to find this game. You're going to be able to find this anywhere. Is a great game to play with families. My kids dig it, but I have just as much fun playing with like the local hardcore gamers because it becomes a totally different game when you're spending five minutes to make a move and it feels more like a game of chess. Right. Have you tried this one before? I have not played this actually. No. Um, that's one. Of, that one went. I uh, must have skipped over that in my journey of of playing board games. <laughs> uh, but it sounds fun. I mean, I'm I'm all about. Uh, I really like abstract. Um, I should I should have a lot of uh, caveats to all that, but um, I do enjoy abstracts that are thinky where you have some asymmetric level of play and, and the board situation can provide that for you as well. Like I, I can do certain things that you can't as a result of our table situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I, uh, I, I do enjoy that. One, one of the most recent ones that I played that ha- that scratched that itch would have been war chest, which is a, a newer game, right? Um, and that one has a very abstract feel and it's very much, it's very close to chess where you're moving mm-hmm. the pieces in a very specific way and they can only attack other pieces in a very specific way. That one was a really fun game. I, I'm, but I, now I got to play Blockus. <laughs> <laughs> War chess is on my list to Santa this year. So it's one I'm, I'm looking forward to trying. Well, and another one like yeah. Blockus is, uh, the vertical version of Blockus would be, I guess, drop it. In a way. Same, oh, yeah. Same sort of asymmetry uh, caused by the shapes of pieces and colors. Sure, sure. Um, there was another one that just got released at SN this year, which was the uh, from – it was from Portugal. It was the – I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, but Pandasaurus just picked it up. It's Arialdial or whatever. Okay. Um, and that's like literally Tetris, the board game. Like if you imagine – it's pieces moving down and they have to um, interlock in a specific way in order for you to get points. Um, I have heard mixed reviews on it, but it is like a brand new game that like does scratch that itch of, of people who love Tetris 
in on a board game uh, table. So I we'll see. Well, I don't I haven't played yet, so I guess I don't. I'll, I'll reserve judgment. But I have <laughs> Fair enough. But, uh, I do yeah. remember one coming out. It's probably a few years ago, maybe even ten years ago now, called Fitz. That really looked like Tetris, but I never got to play it. And that was definitely the f- Tetris four square pieces, and you had to try Sweet. to fit it onto the board. It's F I T Z, I think, is the spelling of it. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. That sounds cool. It's an older one. I, yeah. I didn't. I don't. I remember Buzz when it came out, but nothing since. So again, I haven't played it. So who knows? Nice. So yeah, that was it. That was our weekend review. I did Black Friday, Cyber, whatever you want to call it, weekend sales, and I played some Balakas. So I got to ask Daniel, it is our weekend review. What hit your tabletop last week? That's hard because I was moving. I, I Okay, so one of the things that happened was the it, it was a military move. My wife's in the military, so it was a military move, and all the movers came, and they, they pack up your stuff for you. And so all the things, all the things were packed up, and then what showed up in the mail was my copy of it was Railroad Rivals. Railroad Rivals, okay. Yeah, from uh, from Forbidden Games, and that showed up in the mail as like a Kickstarter reward. And then I, uh, the movers had already come, so I had to transport it uh, in the car with me all the way. So it was <laughs> it was a precious cargo. There you go. <laughs> um, but I didn't end up. I didn't get it to the table yet because we don't have a table. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm currently on this like a very. Uh, um, inexpensive uh, in between table until our furniture gets here. Oh, so. sounds good. I understand. We, we went we went years with no table and just a bunch of milk crates with a blanket over top. So that's awesome. <laughs> I finally remember <laughs> those days. Yep. I would totally play on that. So we record the show live Wednesday nights at 9:30 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, and we encourage people to drop in and take part in our chat room, the lobby. Thanks to our moderator, Angie Games. Tonight, people are mostly just talking about the fact that our stream is choppy as heck. Still having problems? It hasn't gotten any better? It's better, not great. Uh, Sorry to hear it. Since we got Daniel here, we would love to know if you have any questions for him. He is, I would say, a Kickstarter expert. So if you have Kickstarter-related questions, I will find out more about him when we get to the Ask the Bellhop. But if you do have some questions, please ask them in the chat, and she games will make a note, and we'll try to get to them when we get to the interview part of the show. You can find us all across the web now. And we grow by the support of listeners and viewers like you. So please take a minute to subscribe to our content on your favorite platform and help us spread our gaming advice to the world. You can also sign up to receive Tabletop Bellhop Weekly in your inbox. Every Wednesday or so, we actually should be on Wednesdays, but once a week, we will be sending out an email recapping all the content we've released in the weeks previous. Uh, Blog posts, podcast podcast episodes, reviews, and anything else that's been created. You can sign up at newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com or go over to the tabletopbellhop.com webpage and you'll find a spot to subscribe in the sidebar. Our quiver giveaway is going strong. Right now, while we record this, there are 13 days left. Uh, last time I checked, we had 340 entries. That is pretty fantastic. That's pretty good odds. You can enter now over at tabletopbellhop.com. Just click on reviews and scroll down a bit until you find the quiver review or go to tabletopbellhop.com slash hyphen reviews slash quiver. Another thing you can get on the blog are the gamer gift guides. The holidays are coming or here, however you want to look at it. These are gift lists that include all kinds of awesome things for the game in your life that are not at all games. Your gamer friends likely buy many of the games they want for themselves, and buying something they'll enjoy or don't already have in their collection may be tough. This is a list of items that make great gifts because people may not be buying them for themselves. While you're at the blog, just look at the bottom menu. There's a link that says Gamer Gift Guides. 
check them out there. There's currently five of them, and as time goes on, I will be adding more. Every week, as part of Throwback Thursday, I'm going to resurrect an old piece of gaming content. I'm going to play Thread Necromancy of something I published years ago on another platform, most likely on my old blogger blog. I'll be republishing the original article, everything intact, everything there, including my old pictures on my iPod. And then I'm going to tell you my thoughts now. So has my opinion changed since I wrote that original review? So this week, I'm taking a look back at an expansion for Catan. That is, at the time, it was called Cities and Knights of Catan. Now it's called Catan Expansion Cities and Knights, but it is the Cities and Knights expansion. Catan was the first game we ever talked about on our podcast. And if you want to hear about all things Catan, go all the way back to episode one, Our First Settlements. Now, that's actually what got me to revive this classic review, why I dug up that grave. I thought it tied in well with the show. Catan's a huge game. Uh, most of us wouldn't even be in this hobby if it weren't for Catan, and we probably wouldn't be even having this podcast or chat now if it wasn't for that game. That said, if you do go back, we were still early in the learning curve, <laughs> so not quite as polished. So Cities and Knights is an expansion for Catan, or Settlers of Catan, as it used to be called. You're adding a bunch of new stuff. You've got basically the city side and the knight side. So the city side, you've got three new commodities to collect. So these are like your resources, right? Like your wooden sheep and that. Um, you're going to use these commodities to upgrade your cities. You do that to get new development cards. These development cards are based on three things, science, trade, and politics. So what these do is you toss out the old development deck and instead improve your city by collecting these new resources. Now, you get these new resources by building cities. So normally when you build a city, you would get two of whatever resource you're on. Well, with these new commodities, you get a commodity and the resource. I'm sorry I didn't make a note of this. I forget exactly the commodity names, but say you get sheep and you get cloth. I may be off on cloth. Sheep is obviously in Catan. So then you use that to improve your trade part of your city. So what it does is you can also get sorry you can also get other bonuses so once you hit level three in either science trade or politics you get an asymmetric bonus that the other players don't have unless they develop it themselves yeah it's interesting i've actually played many rounds of Catan and and several expansions and versions including chocolate uh but <laughs> somehow somehow i've never actually managed to sit down with cities and knights there's probably a reason to it i'll get to it in a bit on why it doesn't come out at my table that often so I kind of talked about the city side. So the city side adds like a sieve building, right? Almost a tech tree to the game. Well, on the night side, you've got barbarians, raiders coming and threatening Catan, and it's up to everyone to contribute to defending the island. So players now can build and actually level up knights in a very RPG slightly feel, right? Like kind of RPG thing. You put a level one knight, you can upgrade him to a level two knight by giving him wheat. Um, when the barbarians hit... You do some math, really simple math, it's Catan here, not Power Grid, uh, to figure out who won, if the island survived or if the barbarians won. Well, if the island survived, it becomes, you get an area majority rule drops in. Whoever contributed the most knights is the defender of Catan, and they get a victory point. Now, if you didn't defend the island, the player who contributed the least loses one of their cities, which can be devastating in Catan. Now, the other thing you can do is the players can build city walls to help defend from this. So the depth this adds to the game is pretty impressive. So many new aspects to interact with and change up what may have grown stale as a lot of people tend to uh, find Catan gets a little boring over time. 
yeah, if you play Catan a lot of times, this is really going to change it up. Now, there's a bit more to Cities and Knights of Catan. Like, there's an extra die and how everything works. There's a way to, like, form a metropolis. Uh, if you want to know more, head over to the blog, read my re-review. But the big thing, as we've already kind of alluded to, is City and Knight changes Catan from a trading-based race into a civ-building race, which I think is very unique. I have a strong suspicion that our listeners and viewers are going to have a real split on this, lovers of the original of the game, or those who prefer this drastically different variant of it. Yeah, see, that's the, that's the point, is this is a drastically different variant. I find these additions to Catan changes the game enough that I don't even think of them as the same game. Like if you come to my house and I say, hey, you want to play Catan, I mean Catan. If I don't say, I'll never say, hey, do you want to come to my house and play Catan with Cities and Knights? No, I'm just going to say, hey, you want to come over Saturday and play Cities and Knights? I actually think of it as, hey, let's play Cities and Knights or, hey, let's play Catan. To me, they're two separate things because they've very different feel. Like in my head, they're, they're completely separate games. Less Catan than Chocolate Catan. <laughs> well, in a way, but all the Catan's there. So like, Chocolate Catan took out a bunch of rules. This keeps all of the original rules. There is nothing from Catan stripped out, except you replace the development deck with a more complicated deck. So it's all still Catan with a bunch more. So I got to say, if you're new to Catan and looking to add to your game and keep it fresh, but still have it feel like Catan, I actually recommend Seafarers of Catan by far over Cities and Knights of Catan. Because Seafarers of Catan is the exact same game with a couple more islands and boats. And you build boats basically the same. They work just like roads. They follow the same track. And the longest road is even replaced by longest trade route. So it's the exact same thing. You're looking for the longest string of your stuff. Now, if you're getting sick of Catan and you're like, man, I've kind of had enough. And you kind of want to reboot it. So it's kind of like you're going to launch the the eighth new Spider-Man. And we're going to reboot Spider-Man and make him... I don't know, Mexican this time. We're going to totally change it up. That's kind of what Cities and Knights is to me. It's a reboot of Catan, as, more so than an expansion. It's a more strategic game. It's got more tactical play due to the new development cards. And to me, it's like a good next step. It's almost a next step game from Catan, although it is still Catan. Now, we just said a heck of a lot about Cities and Knights, and Daniel <laughs> sat there patiently. Have you played Cities and Knights? I have to assume you played Catan. I have played Catan. I have not played Cities and Knights. Um, I haven't actually played any expansion version of Catan. I've played different maps. Okay. Um, at conventions, they'll have like uh, the various historical maps or or other um, fantasy type maps, and and they're all uh, just like paper based. Like it's it's just like not even cardstock. It's just like a poster stock. Yep. And then you can unfold it, and that's a new map that you can play Catan on. And then uh, I have I have tried a bunch of those, um, and those are really fun, actually. Yeah. But you're not changing much of anything about the game other than the map that you're playing on, which is really cool. And some of them have, like, some very basic changes to the rules. Um, but I I have to say that, like, I've played Catan. I love Catan. I play it all the time. Uh, but it wasn't the game that got me into gaming. Um, you mentioned that before. is like everyone like, has played that. And, like, not like, everyone, but yeah. Their, their entry from a lot of people it's even nowadays it's still like a lot of people's entry into okay i'm gonna play Catan and that's like their replacement for monopoly right but i played uh Catan before i played puerto rico and puerto rico is the one that actually got me into gaming i would argue um because i played it I, I played like three or four rounds a, a week for about 
three three months or so, and then I was like hooked into all types of gamings after that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did play Catan quite a few times before that, but I didn't think of anything of it other than like I was hanging out with my friends and they happened to have Catan. Right. So, so I would yeah. credit Catan with bringing me back. Like I've always been a gamer. The games behind me, a lot of them came out in the 80s. I've been playing yeah. games for a lot of times. But after the whole after university split and everyone kind of went their own ways, uh, my parents were Canadian. They call it Canadian snowbirds, where they would go down <laughs> to Texas whenever it got cold up here, and they would stay down in Texas. It's uh, something Canadians do. Mm-hmm. And they had us watch the house and we could only watch so much TV and drink so much craft beer and we were looking for something to do. And I, at the time used to still get games magazine and games magazine every year puts out a number one or top 100 games every year. Now these back then included some hobby games, but it was mostly puzzles, Ravensburger stuff. And I went, you know what, this year, whatever game's number one, I'm going and buying it. And that was Catan. And then we started bringing it to these I almost say host parties, but we were watching the host and we were hooked. And it was like we would play eight times in one Saturday night. It did also involve the craft beer, which is probably part of why it was the same time I discovered rape beer and craft beer and became a beer snob. So that all ties into the Catan. And at one point, I remember having three tables of Catan going at my parents' house on a Saturday night. And then getting kind of sick of it and picking up seafarers and then, oh, my God, it's amazing again and making that change. So while it didn't get me into the hoppy, it brought me back. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I share I share the story with the, the beer and combined with Puerto Rico. <laughs> there you we go. had a craft brewer who, who would sell growlers and we would each have a growler for the night. Yep, <laughs> oh, nice. Three sessions of, of Puerto Rico. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yep. Yeah. Now, each episode, we look to answer one or more of your game, gaming, or game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com, or you can head over to the webpage, tabletopbellhop.com, and click on Ask the Bellhop. Uh, Social media, of course, works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. While I prefer if questions come through the website because they get tracked and I've got a nice log of them and I get an email when they come in, I'm not going to say no to a question asked anywhere else. This week, since we have Daniel Zayas joining us, we're mixing things up. This time, it's us asking the questions. That's right. So Daniel was the one that approached me about an interview on Facebook a couple weeks back. I did a little bit of research, found out Daniel was the designer of When Cutie Met Patootie, also one of many designers listed as credited on Christmas Lights, a card game. And I knew he was working on a new card game, or a new game, not card game, called, well, I guess there's cards in it, called Mechanisms. <laughs> and that's what got me excited. When I Googled your name and saw Mechanisms, I'm like, oh, Mechanism sounds cool. I've been hearing that about podcasts. That's the thing I was most curious about. So welcome again to the show, Daniel. Thank you very much. <laughs> so when you first wrote me on Facebook, you had this, this quite this pitch. Like, it kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. Something about the future of game promotion and gamers going the way of Hollywood. I yep. got to admit, that's part of what had me actually consider you on the show. Like before I even knew that you had mechanisms on Kickstarter. Uh, we'll get to mechanisms later. So what, sure. what's this gamer Hollywood? What's this future dream? I think promotion of games is moving in much the same way that you would promote a movie um, where you're soliciting uh, critiques, but not critiques in the same way that you would put your product out there and hope that someone uh, adjudicated it and gave a very serious review of it it's more of how entertaining was this 
it it stands up to all of these other games, thousands and thousands of games that are released every year. And then we're going to move on. It's it's almost like the replayability has almost gone out the window for a lot of game buyers today is that it doesn't necessarily matter that I can play it um, a second time or a fifth time or a tenth time. It matters that I enjoyed my very first play and then I've moved on to the next exciting thing that's that's been released. And in much the same way, you see even games promoters who are more interested in just showing you what this new crazy cool thing is um, without necessarily having an in-depth review about it. And then and then it's it's very much a flash in the pan sort of feel. And that's just very much the same feel as I think when you see like the latest uh, box office release. Um, you might hear about it for a, a year in advance. But then right when it's launched, it's, it, it, it hits the hits the market. Everyone goes out and sees it that weekend. And then no one talks about it again. <laughs> Unless it like stirred up some sort of controversy or something. That, um, that reminds I, me a lot of the launch of Mechs versus Minions. Right? Yeah, that happened, like that's, actually. That's, that's pretty good, much that's what a good happened. Comparison. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of buzz building up, building up, building up, even to the point where they had like press embargoes and all this other mm-hmm. um, stuff where, where they would have people would be creating content in secret. And then on the, the launch of this game, it was just a huge, huge rush of press about it. And then, um, and to be honest, like Metro's Min is actually still a cool game. Like yeah, it's actually I fun agree. and people still have fun with it. Um, I've seen it on the table at conventions um, and it does stand up to time and the product quality is amazing. Again, you're talking about the guy who does Game Trace, uh, Noah. He, he made that uh, housing of the Mechs versus Minions. Um, and it's a very, very beautiful and, and compelling product. Mm-hmm. But the, the market says we're going to play this once or play even a campaign, right? Because that's more of a mm-hmm. feel out some campaigns in, in the game, but then move on to the next cool thing, right? The next crazy right. cool gadget or, or whatever. So basically, you're telling me. Yes, you're basically telling me I'm doing it wrong by doing long form reviews nowadays. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that at all. I think that it's it's just it's it's actually refreshing to see that now because not a lot of people are doing that. So okay. yeah, I, I have can to spin say that into a compliment. Yeah, no, I, I have to <laughs> right, say, I, it's you. that that may be the way the way the uh, industry is going, but I, I have to say we we are probably the yeah. ones who are pushing back against that. More than anything, sure. uh, our, our bellhops uh, rule that we've coined is uh, the game that makes it to your tabletop is the best game. Um, and so we're all about finding whatever game you've got uh, a lot of the time to get yeah. that to the tabletop. Uh, and, and you know, if, if you're not bringing a game to the tabletop, get rid of it. Um, uh, we, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, basically, we, my, my, my rule is I, it doesn't matter how fancy your Kickstarter is, how great the miniatures are, how right. much it costs, how good the insert is. If it doesn't hit your table, it's not worth anything. The good I, game I, is the game that hits your table. Yeah, I've come around to that, actually. It's actually been it's been a long way to that. But also this year specifically, I think there was a squeeze on Kickstarter based on a lot of Kickstarter creators relying on the super backers to fund their games. Cause those are like the people just come back and forth. Yep. Like these people who have backed like a thousand game projects. You can't even, I can't even picture that. Like, but even me, I've probably backed three or 400 uh, wow. in the last, you know, four or five years or so. Right. Um, but, and I'm considered a super backer, but 
a lot of the industry relied on that core alpha gamer base, right? That mm-hmm. they're going to test out these new crazy games. And then on Kickstarter, the, the amount of campaigns that were coming grew faster than the, the backers were growing. The backer right. base was growing. Yep. So this year specifically, there was a, a saturation point that happened. Um, and, and, and a lot of campaigns either canceled or, or didn't raise nearly as much as they thought they would or they might have a year ago. Um, it happened a lot, actually. It happened to me. It happened to me to, to mechanisms, right? So um, I'm not like I'm not one of the creators who are like upset about that. I've I've done enough campaigns. I've helped enough people with campaigns that it doesn't necessarily uh, affect me um, emotionally. Like it's more of a oh, it didn't work out. Well, we're we'll retool things and we'll we'll put it back out there and see if it works. So very much an experiment. Everything's an experiment. It's a wild west on Kickstarter. Yeah. So re- really, what we're we, seeing is that you've got. X number of dollars, but that X number is not changing. What is changing is the number of games. So with this right. the same pot of money, we're seeing uh, instead of 3,500 games this last year, 4,000 games this year or or more possibly. A lot more than that. Like really? 8,000, close to 8,000 new titles. And I think I'm including expansions in that, but still, that's right. a so, lot. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it on the show. Uh, a couple people have talked about the bubble and so on, right? And so I did the research, and I'm like, so 3,500 games were released last year. So you're saying it's like 8,000 this year. That yeah, it's not. It's I, And I hesitate to call it a bubble. That's That seems yeah, like a, a drastic thing. Um, bubbles happen like in the retail side because once you've bought the product, you're sitting on this product that does that needs to now move into, mm-hmm. into customers' hands, right? Um, whereas on Kickstarter, it is like a, uh, it's a self-correcting mecha- uh, uh, yeah. platform, right? If you, right. if you don't fund, then the thing doesn't get made and then it's, it balances out. However, you're seeing a lot more people not raising a lot of money or, or potentially failing or canceling. And, uh, and yeah, so you see, you see a lot of that happening now. So one of the other things I notice you do, and I have a feeling that's how you found me, is you run a group on Facebook called the Board Game Reviewers and Media Group. That's exactly that's how I'm part of. Yeah, yeah, I figured that's how you found me. Can you tell us more about the group? Sure. So um, Board Game Reviewers and Media is a Facebook group dedicated to helping reviewers and media become better. Is a very, very simple goal. Um, the way we do that is. We help lift each other up in terms of promoting each other on the platform. There's there's many ways for you to um, become exposed to other media creators, uh, whether it's through asking a lot of questions on there, through accepting uh, prototype uh, previews or reviews of games that are hitting the market because there's a lot of publishers in there. I will say that you have to be in the industry in order to be accepted right now in the group you have to have like either a, a, a publishing gig or you have to be uh you have to be a publisher you have to be a, a content creator or something that makes sense for you to be there uh, from i don't know maybe an academic standpoint or a productive standpoint or business standpoint and and it really is a nice haven for people to be honest about uh what things they're experiencing as a creator that that maybe like the masses don't really wouldn't understand. I, I would argue um, there's a lot of things you probably go through in making this show that that maybe the the uh, audience might not necessarily appreciate, even though they probably appreciate your hard work, right? And there's ways to improve, and there's ways to um, get more resources to create more content 
Um, there's a lot of people who need help at conventions, as an example. And, and if you can be a media person at, at, with a badge at a convention, yeah, I would argue you're doing a lot of really good work to highlight stuff and build your own brand. Um, and all that happens through it's a very it's very diverse things that happen on the group, but it's just a community base around media creation. I will admit it was nice to find a group that allowed self-promotion because yeah. on Facebook anymore, <laughs> it's like I started doing this. Right. And I have a fairly large network and I'm like, hey, yeah. check out my new thing. And I had so many people like, shut up. You're not allowed to talk about that here. I'm like, oh, yeah. come on. I got a podcast now. You guys have been following me for years and interacting. And all of a sudden I got a podcast and it's like, oh, kick you out of the group. You're not that was a recent course correction. We used to be one of those people, actually, in, yeah. in the media group. Um, and and it, it, it killed the engagement because, like, you're creating content, right? There's, you should yeah. have a place. I mean, you can't, like, go out there and, like, just spam well, yeah, your just content. Spam, yeah. but, there's, but there is a home uh, at the very top of the page, right? It's a, it's the, the announcement, and you, you can place all of your links mm-hmm. of the things that you made that week. And we reset it every week. We reset it every week. And, um, and it's really valuable for even publishers to go in and see that all of the stuff content is being created about games and for you to be discovered that way and be asked to do things like this. Like this was a very classic example of like, Hey, I'm promoting a game right now that I made. I think this is the the future of games promotion. And I would like to maybe tack onto this with you. Right. So that was a very real situation that happened because of that group. Yeah. I also, I, I like the candid nature of many of the threads in the group. There's, yes. there's a the big thing in the industry where you don't talk about money or you don't talk about this or people don't mm-hmm. discuss disclosure. It was really refreshing to see a lot of that being talked about and talked about openly and people right. not being, say, mocked for getting paid to do Kickstarter reviews. It's very example. much a safe space. And we, we actually, I, I don't want to say I handpicked, but like I handpicked the admins who would be running that group right. to, to make sure that it was that. It was, it was that safe space for people to talk about things. So Excellent. Yeah, yeah right. I'm impressed by what I've seen so far. It's good to have a, a an industry only group like that, especially if you can uh, handpick and, and moderate the uh, the people who join it carefully, uh, so that you can allow that right. freedom uh, to for people to speak. Sure, sure. All right. So, getting a little more, uh, I guess, personal, I suppose. Uh, if you if people go over <laughs> to uh, desires dot com, uh, one of the first things yes. they see is uh, an adorable little gorilla. Um, oh so, yeah. So you've uh, you've been involved now. It looks like with this uh, uh, Gorilla Fund charity effort. Uh, what about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund International. Yeah. yeah. So so what about uh, what about this this group that uh, you know spoke to you and got you involved? Yeah. So, um, so some people might recognize that organization because it's frequently covered by uh, Ellen DeGeneres on her show. It's also a uh, they like made a whole wing after her, and then she had her own foundation that supports their aim. Um, but I actually found about, out about them before I knew Ellen was even part of that. Um, and every December, so including this December, for every email su- subscriber I have, um, and to be honest, my emails aren't very frequent. It's very, if I have an interesting thing on my mind that I'm going to share as a blog post, um, related to the tabletop industry or the, the board games that I enjoy or I have a new project that I'm working on or there's new artwork from those projects, right? Um, it's very much a, an, a, an eclectic newsletter, I'll say that. Okay. And um, if you subscribe to that, for every subscriber, every December I will donate a dollar 
to the um, to the Gorilla Fund International. So um, it's a good cause, and, it, and it, you, a lot of people don't want to sign up for newsletters, and this is like a good reason to do that. Even if you never open up an email that I send you, right? Um, it's actually a really good cause for 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 you to, to contribute to. Um, they're essentially saving the last gorillas alive uh, on Earth in their natural habitat, um, like the last ones. And and that's a big thing to say uh, because that's uh, – I don't know, like, I don't know a lot of situations where that's happening other than, like, there's a few other species of, like, elephants that are going out extinct and there's a there's plenty of endangered animals. But um, to say that there's this is the last habitat on Earth for them, that's – yeah, I'm just I'm trying to do do some good in the world. I think. No, I think that's very so, important. Uh, I, I believe we actually just lost the uh, last white rhino. In fact, uh, last. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, that was. That was so, that. yeah, I mean, yeah. it's an important thing to keep uh, keep the rest of the planet alive and not just uh, not just ourselves. Um, right. So moving on to maybe a little happier topic, uh, we also <laughs> see true. you do uh, you do Kickstarter <laughs> consultation. Now, uh, sure. some of our listeners may not be as familiar about the developer side and, and what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, we tend to be a little more right. player player oriented. So, uh, on that side of the industry, what is what is a Kickstarter consultant? Sure. So um, this went goes all the way back to let's see here, probably two years ago. Um, I was adminning a fa- one of the Facebook groups that I'm part of, and um, one of the Kickstarter representatives. Uh, one of the employees actually went on to the group and pitched this opportunity to become a Kickstarter expert. And all you'd have to do is sign up and and list. A, um, it was it was very much like a job interview, but you're you're listing these campaigns um, with references of people who would vouch for you, saying, "Yeah, this person helped me become successful on Kickstarter." Um, and so I went through all the approval process and. Because I had helped other creators at that point, it was very informal. It was very much a like, oh yeah, let me just do this to these X Y Z best practices. Um, be, if I can rewind even further than that, the the my entry into the industry was to create a top ten list of Kickstarter campaigns based on the best practices that Jamie Stegmeyer writes about. Mm-hmm. So and also James Matthew blogs about as well. Um, and I used all of that to essentially create this weird rubric thing that you, yes, you have to have a how to play video and you have to have uh, third party reviews of your game or previews, I should say it's prototype. So we're gonna call them previews. And then, um, and then like various things, like you should have, uh, your team, uh, section on there and you should have the components and, you should explain shipping, right? All these things that we take for granted on Kickstarter campaigns now, as early as two years ago, were just not there. And you might be able to see that in older campaigns, even like the Scythe campaign. If you were to like look at Scythe and think of it in the in the context of if it was launched today, like I don't think it would do very well, to be honest. Huh. Um, but that doesn't take away from like the achievements Scythe made because right. like at the time it was a way ahead of its time of doing all sorts of new and fun things. Um, one of the fun things that that stands that actually you can trace it to Scythe is the daily updates of the main image started with Scythe. So I, I have all this like maybe it's dumb trivia, but it's it's actually practical in terms of helping other people be successful on Kickstarter because. 
it's very much a moving target, right? It's very much a uh, what worked for someone else will not necessarily work for you because of your game or because of the audience you've cultivated or because your price point or any number of factors. So trying to catch catch fire with this this thing on called Kickstarter, right, mm-hmm. is is a hard hard task. And I, what I do is I just try to get them there to the point where we've done everything we can and we just got to hope that it goes well, but you have done everything that I would have done in the situation. And hopefully that's enough. So, and that, that's a, a marketable trait to, for, for a lot of people to, they, they want to um, pay for that service. So uh, I spend my time, some of part of, part of my time is dedicated to helping Kickstarter campaigns fund. Okay. So yeah. we're on the topic of Kickstarter. Um, yes. When we first planned this interview, you were in the middle of one, right? We kind of mentioned that for your game mechanisms. So when we did plan this, I think that was probably you were here to promote that. Um, that I mean, I I reached out for, I mean, I wear so many hats, right? So like, yes, I reached out to you for mechanisms, but I also wanted to like talk about what I thought about the future of Kickstarter and all that other fun stuff. Cool. Yeah. What caught my eye though was mentioning mechanisms, right? So Mm -hmm. That sounds so cool. Like the game sounds cool to me. It sounds like game designer concept. Do you know the game concept? Uh, yeah, I know the game concept. Yeah, yeah. you're placing the you're you're, you're giving placing the, the things and yep. you're giving people clues. That's what mechanisms reminded me of, right? It was like yeah, that's that's con- a good that's a good analogy. I, yeah. I would I would I think that's a good connection. Um, it, you're just to explain mechanisms real quick. You're you have a bunch of random components that are on the table, and and it's a crazy assortment of components like chips and. And a, there's a pen and there's like all these uh, wooden components. And um, what you're going to do is you're going to have three cards in your hand that are all mechanisms. So let's just say you have like tile placement and worker placement and legacy is one of the cards, right? Mm-hmm. So all these are considered mechanisms per the uh, gamers of the world, I would argue. And then um, what you'll do is you're going to use these components to mime what the mechanism you want them to guess. And then as long as people guess two of the cards that you have, then they'll get those cards as points and you'll keep the third one as your point. It's a very simple concept, but the, the seeing it in action is hilarious. Um, it's actually really funny to watch people play this game and see people do either mime a way that I would never have and then get people to guess it that way. And then also to see um, people do something and like not necessarily uh, get it and then me be able to jump in after their their turn of like, oh, here's how I might have done this, and they're like, oh yeah, I totally would have done it that way. And now that I now that I see it, like I'll always do. If I see that card, I'll always do it that way. If I and then hopefully I can get the point across. So, so how do you stop people from ripping up your cards when they draw the legacy card? What's that? Oh yeah, so that you actually you can mine a legacy. Like, <laughs> I know you mine. I have a receipt here. I just yeah. say that I ripped it, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's and people usually get legacy out of that. I'm sure they do. <laughs> So I got to say, like we one of one of our most popular episodes actually is on game mechanics. Um, I should have it up. I don't have the episode name in front of me, but sure. yeah, we 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 did an episode on game mechanics, and I th- I just thought the concept sounded really cool. I like the idea of it. I'm like, that sounds like a fun game. I yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Game. Yeah, it was uh, there was it wasn't so it, the game itself mechanisms actually is a legacy game because we included on each card a notable game that uses that mechanism, right? And uh, if you go to a convention or wherever and get the signature of the designer, 
then that card is worth one more point in your copy of the game. It's worth an extra point when you get it. I saw that in the Kickstarter, and I thought it was brilliant. Um, I don't know how much you do with RPGs, but back in the day, uh, Kenzer Co. does Hackmaster. And they had a thing where they called them Celebrity Rubs where you would go get game designers to sign your modules and you would rub your D20s on it to get a bonus. And it reminded me of that, where you're going to cl- go around and collect our oh, autographs to actually that's improve cool. your game. I didn't know about that. That's actually really cool. That's, yeah, that's a very good parallel to, to what I was trying to get yeah, across. Yeah, it's very cool. It's from the old Hackmaster 4th edition, which is actually only the second edition of the game. That was part of the joke. That's <laughs> <laughs> Hackmaster 4th edition had had rules for the celebrity rub, and there was a spot in your character sheet for it. And it reminded me of that. I love the idea. I love the idea of the, the scavenger hunt aspect. of Yes, yes. Uh, now, did you get game designers to sign up for this? Or you, or like? Yeah, it was a little bit of both, I think. It was a, it was, there was a little bit of a curation process because we wanted to um, showcase a lot of, of diverse games and also diverse games creators. Um, so we tried to not even, like, for the 54 cards that we were going to include in the game, we didn't repeat any designer. Wow. Um, and then we also made an effort to... Um, to show games that like you could still buy and also designers who like regularly appear at conventions mm-hmm. or, or at least are still working, right. Um, haven't passed on as an example, right. Was it was one of the requirements when we were making this. Um, and then some recent games that you could still buy was a, was a good, a good uh, one. Um, but yeah, we, we tried to just make the, the best representation of, gaming today via those notable games makes sense yeah though i guess you do have to worry about the data going obsolete but then i guess that goes totally counter to your hollywood cult of the new because the next year who's <laughs> going to be playing your game anyway right yeah there i mean there's there's some that survive right there's there's plenty that that survive and then even like you could argue the bgg top 100 are like the best survivors of mm-hmm. of that cult of the new trend right um even though some of the some of the ones that like up and the other um, games are relatively new. They're still holding their own, right? right. Even now. So like I said I was kind of hyped about mechanisms, but then this weekend, in the midst of all the Black Friday madness, yeah. I noticed a post on Facebook thanking your backers and noting that you had to cancel the campaign. So yes. I got to ask, what happened? Yeah. So um, we didn't raise enough money. That's that's how a lot of Kickstarters cancel. Um, we didn't generate enough support. And some of it is um, we postured this as a um, the like the, the anti Kickstarter campaign that you come to expect. There was a lot of jokes told in the campaign that that I don't I don't regret that at all, to be honest. Like, I think all those things are important to make fun of. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, OK, so as an example, like one of our stretch, all of our stretch goals were social tasks. They were not monetary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your cards against humanity one. Yeah, so we had one one where we you had to tweet at cards against humanity. So at C A H is their Twitter handle, and you would say, you would tell, ask them sincerely uh, or mocked sincerely, Pat, are your cards actually black and white or have I gone colorblind? <laughs> <laughs> and so you would. That was one of the tasks that, and you would, if you go on Twitter now, you can actually see that a lot of people uh, participated in that. Um, and we never got a response from Cards Against Humanity, which was uh, hoping that they would like, you know, join in on the joke. But um, that was 
Well, they were, they, were pretty, they were pretty busy selling diamond rings and things. So uh, Yeah, they were yes. doing this fair. You're right. Yeah, they, they had a crazy had their... uh, Black Friday uh, deal thing. Uh, one of the other things that you could do was uh, tank our rating on BGG um, because I think a lot of publishers worry about that. I see it in the threads of like, oh, I just got a one on BGG and, you know, well, they didn't even play my game correctly. And I, I just like, well, you're still selling games to people who like your game. So that's not, it's a very minor slight against you and your ambitions. And, and I think that um, trying doing this campaign to like try and take the sting out of what publishers worry about was a, a big goal within the campaign. And I think we did that, to be honest. Like a, a lot of publishers were like, this is a very cathartic release for us <laughs> to see that this exists. Um, and, and that was rewarding in itself. Um, now what's happening with the campaign is that we postured the game to be able to have expansions. And then even in the middle of the campaign, we realized that the expansions were actually the core game. So because of that, it it was even more reason to cancel it when we canceled it instead of letting it even run to see if it, we could catch the the tail end of the, the push, um, and and see if we could fund it was more valuable to us to cancel it and then retool this and relaunch it as a complete game than than trying to just get get by right so so that's that's why that's a number i said a number of reasons but those are the reasons why we canceled so i I gotta wonder as an outsider who's never ran a campaign you obviously obviously give advice on it why cancel a campaign early instead of letting it not fund yeah um the artistic vision changed in my case. Um, The reason why you might cancel instead of trying to let it fund at the bare minimum is because Kickstarter itself, so I'm going to get a little heady here. Maybe we're going to geek out for a minute. Um, It's all good. Kickstarter itself is a marketing platform. If you, if you launch a Kickstarter campaign, you have marketed your game better than a lot of other products out there can. Um, uh, Even to the point where like traditional retail models um, have now tried to straddle this line of we're going to have some games that maybe go on Kickstarter that are really special and deluxe and crazy big, and we're going to keep this retail model, uh, the traditional distribution model, um, for for a majority of our other stuff. Um, but even they're swayed into this, they're pulled into this crazy, weird marketing um, platform that is Kickstarter. So even if you launch a campaign and then cancel and then relaunch a campaign, that relaunch stands a much better chance at doing a lot, raising a lot more money and interest than um, than if you had just kept going the path okay. and, and tried to, because all those, here's the thing, like the backers who back you are there. They're invested in your project, they're there, uh, and you're gonna get a lot of them back um, as long as you relaunch within a relatively short amount of time. So um, I'm, I'm actually, I have a, the other campaign you mentioned was when Cutie Met Patootie. I had a lot of issues when I first launched that campaign because I was banking on some experiments that didn't work out. And then, first of all, like you should always experiment if you're launching a Kickstarter campaign. If you're if you're watching this and you're thinking of creating a project, try and do something different and weird and mm. and breaking the mold of what others have done before you because that's actually the that will tell whether or not you are ready to be on Kickstarter, that you notice that these things are happening on the platform and then you consciously make an effort to change that. Um, and that, that will actually be a better predictor of success than 
if you just done the rote model of this is how every campaign should look. Um, uh, but I, I, anyway, so I, I made a, a lot of experiments in, in the when Cutie and Patootie campaign, they didn't pan out. I canceled it because I knew exactly what I had done wrong. And then a week later, I relaunched and then it funded. Right. Okay. So I knew all the things that were wrong with it. I changed those things and I was able to relaunch and then got all of those people who were backing it the first time to come back it the next time. Nice. And, and, that, and that carried the campaign to the rest of the way. We've got some people talking, and, uh, and this is a good point to sort of jump into some of these uh, questions from the chat room. Sure. Shadzar has asked, uh, and, and you may not know this, but you've been involved in a lot more, and you're probably better able to speak on this than we are. He's noting a lot of Kickstarters can linger unfunded for most of that period, and then in that last 48-hour blocks, you get, you know, the, some small projects get overfunded. Um, he noted one that was short for $700 short for two weeks, and then with 60 hours to go, it's $1,000 over what it needed. Um, what, do you, what do you think drives some of this late, late market funding? Yeah, so there's – okay, so there are many reasons what that will affect a trajectory of a Kickstarter campaign. Um, some of them are within your control and some of them are, are not in your control. Um, the things that aren't in your control necessarily are the breaking through the noise – because there's a lot of noise out there. So if you are going to try and break through that noise, you need to um, either start really early or spend money on that deficit of, of people having heard about your game in the first place. Um, the things that are in your control to do that are to pay for advertising, get previews of your game out there. Previews of your game are not so you can get an opinion of your game. Uh, just just to clarify, the, the previews of a prototype, first of all, a prototype can't have a review because it's going to change in the process of manufacturing to be a product that people buy and, and receive in their in their box, in their mailbox. So so I, I, uh, I shy away from the idea that you can effectively review what a prototype that is, you know, a long lasting piece of content that will be uh, valuable to people later on because especially because it's a preview. And so getting previews of the content actually is uh, tapping into the audience of the content creator, something something they've worked to cultivate. Um, I fully believe in uh, people paying for that time and attention and service uh, uh, for previews content. I don't know, maybe, maybe folks don't um, get this, but like a lot of time investment goes into playing especially a prototype but any game and then creating content for that game so i'm very much in this um i'm in the mindset that you should definitely pay creators for their time spent um and then you can do uh, pay for ads on bgg you can engage the the facebook groups who are like thousands of people there's a solo board gamers group that i admin that's like fifteen thousand people if your game has a solo mode you should absolutely mm -hmm. be in that group engaging those people talking to them about your game talking to them about other solo games you enjoy um there's so many opportunities for you to break through the noise by just talking to people and by tapping into others audiences um and the reason why a campaign might sit unfunded to go back to the original question, right? Is if you, if you didn't do that, 
If the reason why you're not doing well is because you didn't break through the noise, then a lot of the interviews that happen such as this, right, such as the um, previews that you might get mid-campaign might expose your product to an audience that didn't know you existed. And that's the reason they weren't backing, not because it was it was a bad game or it was a bad campaign. Um, that might happen. Um, I've seen it happen where a creator will release new pledge levels or new extra add-on content and that will spurn you know you're building inward so you're saying all of my backers right now all those people are invested in my product and they want it to fund and then i can um and then i can add in value i did that with cutie actually i added in 50 people are going to get a wooden box to house uh the game and then um another 20 people or so are going to get uh uh, uh, fabric play mats to play the game on. So all of these things that add value in the campaign can also lead to a jump in funding mid-campaign. Mm -hmm. I would argue that changing your advertising audience on Facebook or through whatever YouTube or however you want to advertise your game, uh, if you change the audience and they discover your game that way, or if you get new media and you promote that media within your within your Facebook page, right? Then that would actually lead to uh, a boost in your campaign as well. Makes sense. There's so a lot of reasons that this happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, another question we saw, and, and this one may be outside your, uh, your realm of knowledge. I don't know how uh, tight you are with the folks over at Kickstarter. Um, but uh, they were wondering if you have any info as to why Kickstarter doesn't have a, a public API so you can pull data from... Sure. So, so I've, I've, I mean, I'm friends with the folks at Kickstarter. I, I, I've met them. They go to conventions, right? And you can't avoid that, right? And they're, and they're cool. They're cool people. Um, the, the, the games team are, are fun and they're very helpful. Um, I'm, I'm saying that because what I'm going to say, it does, doesn't sound like I feel that way, but <laughs> I feel that Kickstarter has gotten comfortable, right? I think that they've, they've, they have their audience. They have, uh, captured this market segment that nobody is even touching in terms of tabletop games uh, being crowdfunded. Um, the only recorded uh, thing that I think happened, um, I'll take that back because Hasbro did something with, uh, I think it was like a, a, a figurine for Star Wars or something. Uh, and then Lego has done a crowdfunding campaign within their site um, it's very internal and very locked in. It's not like I could go on the Lego site and, and do it. But Indiegogo hasn't touched anything that Kickstarter has achieved. Um, so because of all of that comfort, um, I think they have uh, stopped developing a lot of the fixes um, that creators are requesting. Um, and I'm saying that even knowing that there's there are some things that have improved on the on the on the platform. There's a lot of things actually that improve on the platform. However, there's a lot of big things that creators want and need to be um, more successful. And they just, I don't, I don't know why, but it just hasn't happened. So um, certain things like, like why are we using the content editor? That's like from the nineties, right? Like if you go into a back end of a Kickstarter campaign and you're, and you're, adding content to it you have to be cognizant of so many things that are just like archaic like how many spaces i've left after a image to make sure that 
the thing below it doesn't get a hyperlink on it because it will glitch out and I'll have to worry about that. I'm like actively thinking about, I have to think about whether my artist is on the Kickstarter page editing things before I go on and edit things because our things are not going to save um, at the same time and we're going to override each other, right? There are a lot of things on the campaign's page back end that are just like painful, like really painful. Um, and to some, for someone to say, why haven't they made an API? They haven't made a lot of things that <laughs> creators want. Creators would love to have an API. Um, that would that would solve so many problems with marketing that if you could tap that into their their um, their website conversions from people going to the website or going to their Facebook page or tracking. They did add tracking through uh, uh, Google, so you can do your um, do funneling that way. But it's still like it's it's very painful still for creators to use that platform, um, and they don't care uh, because they have the market share. Right. Honestly, wow. I think I think that's that, kind of think sad. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's it's sad, and I think I I don't I I'm having a hard time not sounding disparaging, but like it that has happened um, where there's many many requests. You you've had like even the I've heard stories like I didn't where the CEO of of CMON would fly to the headquarters in New York for Kickstarter because that's their business. Like this this giant company, they've made their money on Kickstarter, right? And they have these requests and. None of those things happened, you know, hearsay, but none of those things happened that were requested. So you got to think like if the CEO of CMON can fly to the headquarters and ask for things, right, then what it, what it would hope do little little Daniel have, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and they, they've got a reason to be comfortable. I mean, Indiegogo is probably their next uh, closest competitor, but a lot of people I'd argue get, that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people get uh, put off by the potential of some of, of the, the Indiegogo type of fund where you don't have to get the right. full funding. And that, that scares a lot of people away from Indiegogo, even though all projects aren't necessarily structured that way. Right. Um, yeah, so- that's that's a very fair statement. I told I, I, I talked to somebody who was working at Indiegogo at the time, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and I said that the reason why Kickstarter is kicking your butt is because of the, the actual format that people can fund is turning people away from yes. your platform for, because you need a minimum amount of money for to make Manu- a thing. manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, yeah. That's what you need. So. All right. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, why don't we jump away from Kickstarter again for a little bit? Uh, and, uh, Not a problem. <laughs> we noticed, uh, we noticed uh, a glimpse of Luna up on your, uh, your calendar, a, phys- a digital physical combo game uh, out of Germany. Uh, are you connected? You're connected with this in somehow, or is this just something you were uh, supporting? Oh yeah. So um, one of the things that I do is, um, I run the Kickstarter board games Facebook group and uh, in that group, you can purchase banner advertising at the very top. Um, So it's like $50 first come first serve. Um, It's, it's by far the cheapest advertising you could possibly get. Um, Not to, I'm not turning this, I don't want to turn this an advertisement for that because uh, we're booked. Right. But if you think about the concentration of gamers who will buy into Kickstarter, they're all on Kickstarter board games Facebook group, right? So, so like whatever amount of money that they're charged that the admins will charge for that level of engagement, not just my group, but like mm-hmm. uh, board game spotlight or ex- board game exposure or um, the solo board games Facebook group, right? Um, if you look at the amount of people in that group and engaging, those people are engaging in that group and they're going to see what is promoted at the very top of the page every time they go to the group. 
it's a it's a very very nice impression uh, standpoint. Obviously, we can't track that on Facebook, but like the fact that there's so many people there active in the group, participating in the group, and then it's very easy to uh, contact the admins um, and then purchase uh, advertising from them. Like you're not going to get a better return as a creator, even through like Facebook advertising, which is super targeted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's my association with Klimps. Uh, they they, the creator reached out to me and he was interested in, in right. buying advertising on the Kickstarter board games. Great. Yep. So do we have anything else from the chat for Daniel? I did notice one from Shadzar. Um, when you were talking about, actually, I'm going to pause just for one second. I think yeah, no for anyone listening to the show, especially if you're a content uh, a publisher or so on, mm-hmm. the important point he made that matters the most to me is the fact that, yes, content creators should be paid for their work. Yeah. I have done Kickstarter previews. I do it with a little bracket P in front of the review, so preview is that how works. I've always marketed them. Um, I do always clearly denote that they're previews, not reviews, because as you said, I'm not looking at the finished product, and I don't know what the publisher is going to change before it gets to you. So I'm just reviewing what I've been able to see in half. But I think the um, there's definitely a feel in the industry. Some people feel it's a hobby should stay a hobby, and anyone that treats it as anything but a hobby should be shunned and... (laughs) I, I don't even know how to word it, but there is definitely a stigma against people trying to make a living doing right. work in the industry. Yeah, and, and you know what? And artists should also be paid in exposure. And yeah, exactly. Uh, and the people who you know fix your plumbing, you know, you just give them a hot meal, and and hopefully they can pay rent with that hot meal, mm-hmm. and <laughs> all of the above reasons why you should absolutely support creators. Like, do you want content created for you? Like, this is a service that created for you. Mm-hmm. You want to read uh, uh, the news online, right? Or maybe you don't, but that's, that's <laughs> a different topic. But, like, yeah. do you want this content that's created for you? Do you want to pay for um, to go to see a movie because all of that time and money and effort has been made to entertain you, right? Um, there's, there's a lot that goes into this that I – it's, like – Making money is not like a dirty word, right? Like right. people being paid for the things that they're passionate about is not a bad thing. Um, it, it should be more supported, if anything. Um, I don't want to go to uh, McDonald's because there's, you know, first of all, I'm vegetarian, but like if <laughs> I don't want to go to uh, uh, Taco Bell because that person's not like, you know, they're, they're, I don't I can't. Maybe I'm wrong, but like I can't imagine someone be passionate about that specific job i'd rather go to a probably not a restaurant that where someone is doing something that they love and, they, and they're there um, every day because they're passionate about that thing i want to pay someone who is passionate about content creation i want to pay someone who's passionate about making games um because it makes my life better right mm-hmm. um it enriches people on this chat right now they're being they're being entertained and their lives are being made better as a result of this show right so, so I fully support the idea that content creators should get paid. I do, as a content and creator who <laughs> would like to get paid, I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. So yeah. going back to the actual question, um, and I thought this one was interesting. Shadzar asked, should beta testers be paid? Um, I actually know that there are playtesters who do get paid. They're, they're a trusted group um, of people that a, a designer or a publisher tr- like um, has curated, has 
practically, I don't want to say hired because they're not employees, but like they've curated this, these groups of people and those play testers get paid to test new product. Um, there's as if you take that a step down to like a more indie creator, they will reward their friends with pizza. Right. And then, and then they will, they will say, Hey, we're all getting together. We're going to, sometimes it's, we're going to play each other's prototypes or we're going to um, go really, I have like five copies of my prototype. We're going to go, you know, deep dive into this and I will um, maybe get you $50 for the day each. And, and also I'm going to buy you lunch as well. Um, It's the same, same thing goes, actually this conversation came up in regards to uh, booth help, right. At a convention. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of booth helpers are volunteers who maybe um, the publisher gets by just getting them a badge and they work, I don't know, a few hours each day of the convention. Mm-hmm. And then they will, um, their return on that is that they get a badge and maybe they get lunch too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually not uh, a good thing, I would argue. Um, yes, there's like very, like very, it's very expensive to go to a convention. Like, I don't, I don't want to discount that. It's very, very expensive to attend a convention as an exhibitor. Um, it, it like thousands of dollars are going into these booth setups and also booth spaces that you have to pay the, uh, event organizer and the amount of travel time and hotels and food that you're going to, that goes into all of this, um, and and the dinners that you have to go to to network right all these things that happen at a convention are like just dollars dollars shed out um and hoping that the marketing matters for that convention to bring it back eventually um so i get i understand that constraint however however the volunteers who come to demo for your game i don't like that that to me is a bad word to call them volunteers because they're there on an hourly basis to provide the publishers a service. And I think that those people should get paid as well. Um, I think that wh- however that works out, however, whatever compensation is fair for that service, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to even guess at that, but I no. don't think that they should not be paid at anything. Even if it's like, I don't count the badge and I don't count lunch as that payment. Now, didn't that recently change in the U.S. in some states? The yeah, there's no longer. There was, I mean, there's the uh, famous um, lawsuit that happened due to I think, Magic I the say Wizard of the Coast did it, yeah. but yeah, um, uh, I could be wrong about that. Um, but no, there um, was definitely a Magic the Gathering judge volunteer right. lawsuit, and, and they and they wanted to be compensated for their time, yes. um, and that does echo into the board game industry when in, in terms of like convention help. Um, and I do know that there are plenty of publishers who do pay their demo uh, people. Um, but what happens, especially with like these new shows that are cropping up, like uh, PAX Unplugged, right? So if, if uh, PAX Unplugged, their first year was last year. So a lot of these publishers have their regular staff in various cities that are very close. Like Indianapolis, they have a demo staff and, um, in Dallas, they have a convention staff. In Seattle, they have a convention staff. They know these people and they've worked with them before. Mm-hmm. But whenever there's like a new show, you'll see a lot of people looking for new volunteers. And I don't know that all of them are paid, to be honest. So I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a problem. I think it'll get fixed um, as the industry grows and as 
publishers become even more successful because I mm. do think that's happening. Um, I think Kickstarter has has hit a roadblock this year um, and needs to somehow engage and get more users back on the platform. Um, but the industry at large is going through golden Still, years, right? Yep. And is and is and is booming and is growing at a unprecedented rate. Not just like like forget sales, like for a minute, just forget the number of games being sold. Like the the nerd culture accepting tabletop mm-hmm. games into the fold and making that a big part oh, yeah. of what it means to be a geek or be a nerd, right? And and all of that mattering more and all of the bars being raised for that. Uh, yeah, I think I think all of these things are are great, and because of that success, I think that that problem might fix itself in the future, okay. as long as we just you know be cognizant of it. I think part of it too is the mentality of the fans and the consumers and right. the reviewers who are just so happy they got sent a review copy of a game, or the the fan who likes the game is like oh my god i get to go to origins for free and i get to play this game all weekend for this company right i think part of it too is educating uh I, the volunteers to use that term or the the, the new reviewers yeah. the indie scene demoers i'm gonna call them yeah, demoers demoers. Yeah. We're, we're calling yeah. them from now on we're pointing yep. it they're they are your demo team correct Fair enough. and it's it's a it's a real real problem like i've run into it um in my in my other life as a as a photographer um, mm-hmm. the, one of the reasons why it's almost impossible to make money as a photographer is because everyone has a camera now. I mean, everyone has an iPhone sure. or an Android that is as Oh, great oh as I didn't think I knew where you're going with this. And I could do this. So yes. everyone, everyone takes pictures <laughs> and if everyone takes pictures and everyone uploads them and everyone says, here, have my pictures for free, then the people who yeah. are yes. out there working for a living to take mm-hmm. professional photographers and be professional about their right. job can't make any money because someone says well i can get something almost as good over there for free um and so you get a lot of educating unfortunately is is a a bigger problem in in photography because literally everyone has a camera uh whereas at least with the demoers there's a chance we can get out there and and, and educate that smaller pool of people uh and let them understand you know the damage that can be done uh by not getting paid (laughs) Yeah, as a person who who regularly takes selfies at <laughs> conventions, um, I I am still on the side that you need to pay someone for something that looks nicer than what you might post on Facebook. Yep, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so I think yeah. that covers everything I have. Uh, Sean, do you have anything yeah. else you wanted to ask? Yeah, um, just a couple of a couple of things. We're, I don't want to touch back uh, real quickly on on Kickstarter or one aspect of Kickstarter. Um, sure. I'll, when you look at things like what happened, some notable Kickstarter, fa- uh, some call, some call them failures, but in the discussion, okay. in the discussions of fa- uh, areas of Kickstarter, and how toxic that can uh, can be at times, much like you know any any discussion area, YouTube uh, swamps and such. Uh, uh-huh. What has your experience been on on your Kickstarter projects or projects that you've been in, integrated with, and, and as to you know the quality or negative negativity sure. in uh, the discussions? Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm a little less patient than others have, and it, honestly, like um, there are some level of toxic backers on the Kickstarter platform today, and any publisher who hasn't experienced that yet are either um, not engaged in their campaign or like, um, or 
have someone else solving that problem or uh, their campaign isn't big enough, right? Um, I know with, and here's the thing, like a lot of those commenters have moved off of the public comments and actually just engaged the creator directly via messages. Um, and I know that happens via private messaging, like too much, like a lot. Um, and I don't, I don't want to use, I'm going to use the word entitlement, but I'm, I, I don't like to say that because I don't feel that that is, um, I don't think that is the full picture, right? Um, but there is definitely a level of um, people overreacting online, which I, I even saying that I know that exists <laughs> in every online interaction, but people, people saying things to other people online that they would never say to each other's faces, right? Like that just would never happen. If I can just like, I don't know who's going to watch this in the future, right? Or who's, you know, the, the live people now, but like, just like pretend that the people on the other end of that receiving screen are people, right? Like they're, cause they are, <laughs> yeah. and then they're going to react as a human would and, and, and hopefully try and help you out. But also like be, try and be, and I, and here's the thing, like I'm saying this and like all of the people who need to hear that, maybe don't, don't necessarily see that or, or, or appreciate that. Um, yes. I understand that you like, you have, spent money your hard-earned dollars you spent money on a product and you expect certain things as a result of that but like there's a huge difference between the interactions that kickstarter creators go through compared to like something you might buy at target right if you go to a store and you buy something and then you didn't like it or something's wrong with it like there's a very different interaction that happens with kickstarter creators compared to every other purchase decision that people make um, and I, and I, I don't think it's warranted, um, personally, even like, it's just, it's, even if there's something wrong with, uh, what you bought, there's, there's a ways to go about that to get it corrected or replaced or fixed and doesn't require nastiness on anyone's part. It's an amusing point. Cause I'm just thinking about like, say I go and buy my bell and it doesn't work and it doesn't ring. I probably bring it back to Staples. I don't find the Facebook account of the guy that designed the ringer on the bell and threatened right. his family right. for creating a crap bell. Right? Like, it's a good point. Like, I, I hadn't yeah. thought of it that way, but right. like the normal per- products we purchase were very disconnected from the behind. We all we care about is this end thing. Whereas right. with Kickstarter, you're you're intimately involved with all the little pieces and parts and people involved, right? And and that definitely changes your perspective. Like it, you've basically you've got the direct line to be yeah. able to complain to that person. Sorry, I, yeah. I, I find it interesting because in the past we would have had that connection. Uh, you know, we would have Years known ago. that Joe Joe Farmer down the street was where we got our milk from, and we would have right. had a personal. And so now I think what Kickstarter is bringing us is we're getting back towards that. We're getting a bit more of that personal relationship, but with yep. that, it's a screen, right? It's, it's that the, yeah, is the, there's the, the internet. It's not real. It, we're closer to them, but they don't feel like a real people or like a real person to a lot of people. And, right. and I think those are the people who were, were concerned about here um, and yeah. who see that screen and forget that they really are closer to this person. And they're not yelling at staples. They're yelling at Bob who made the bell. Um, yeah. Right. And, yeah, it's 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 interesting to that point is is lived everywhere online. To be honest, it's not just on Kickstarter, but yeah. the, the fact that 
this person has cr- made this very, very difficult and artistic endeavor. Like it's hard. It really is like, it's hard to make something and, and put it forth in front of people and hope it does well. And then when it does well, and then you have to um, do more and more and more uh, less creation and more like customer service. And that's not a bad thing either. Like, cause you're still like, the, it's a good thing that you can engage with the fans directly. That is cool. That is the, that is probably the coolest part about Kickstarter to be honest, is this direct line to the people who are enjoying your product. Mm-hmm. Like the person at Mattel doesn't know that guy who bought it at Target. Like they don't know yeah. that person. So that part is really cool. But the dark side of that is what is a problem. The fact that, if people were abuse that relationship, it's not a yes, good thing. Absolutely. So. so just shout out to the designer of the bell. I like my bell a lot. <laughs> there we go. So it was, Daniel, probably, it was probably manufactured in China, I would argue. Oh, uh, probably. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I'm not going to continue that thought process. Okay. <laughs> I actually, I'm, I, I work for Long Fat Games. I don't know if I, I don't, we probably missed that. Uh, I work for Long Fat Games as their U.S. sales manager. Um, that's my day, day job. Um, to uh, in addition to other hats that I wear, like I, I am their uh, their rep for all of the crazy things that get manufactured. We love weird projects. We just finished uh, quite a few weird things like Turing Tumble and Planet and all these like things that other uh, manufacturers may may not want to touch. Um, yeah, Long Pack Games, perfect. Um, planet so planet is the, the one that makes like the the hex based planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, yeah, we awesome. manufactured that. That's yeah. cool. That game looks yeah, we fantastic. We a lot on, on various weird projects, and that was a real rewarding one. To see. That one I had no clue about until uh, Suzanne Sheldon started sharing pictures. And I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God, what is that? That looks fantastic. It's such a fun, fun little game because you can play that with your family and have a completely different experience. Similar to how you were talking about Blockus, right? Yeah. Have a completely different experience when you play with gamers and they're min-maxing their planet to best adhere to xyz constraints that you need to like populate it with the right animals or also have the best green planet or white planet or yellow planet right so very cool it's very cool i like it a lot so you mentioned long pack i think we've covered kickstarter we talked about your previous games and mechanisms is there anything we missed is there anything else you want to bring up before um so one of the retoolings that happened for mechanisms is that now we've incorporated all of the things that you can do as a geek and which changes the name of the game to geekisms um which is so you'll see that maybe in february next year on kickstarter Uh, again this is just all everything's an experiment on kickstarter so the more i can do weird stuff and and actually we're trying to within kickstarter board games i'm going to be launching like this i don't want to say i'm not calling like initiative but like this thing that will help newer creators stay afloat in this weird time on Kickstarter. Um, honestly, what I hope is that a lot of the creators on Kickstarter graduate like Jamie Stegmeier did and go into traditional distribution, mm-hmm. which will free up some space on there. Um, if it doesn't happen like that, then it's, we're going to see a lot of the same of like people treading water on, on Kickstarter for right now. Um, but I, I, in order to break the mold in order to reinvent Kickstarter for new creators. Um, there's going to be something announced on the Kickstarter board games, Facebook group that we're going to try and like make Kickstarter, um, work for new creators. Uh, we're gonna, the, the, we're calling it keep, keep Kickstarter weird, uh, a, a borrowing from Oregon, uh, or Portland, sorry. And, uh, but keep Kickstarter weird is going to be a new thing. 
that we're going to try and test out and see. I And I don't know if this is right. This is all an experiment. It's all the Wild West. So if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then we are back where we started, honestly, because it, um, it's hard. It sounds a bit to me like you're trying to go back to the roots of Kickstarter. Going the roots back of Kickstarter the- is weird. It is. Like, it's so – there's so many cool and weird and strange projects that got funded early on. And these – the the bar being raised didn't necessarily make better products. I would argue it just made the the shine shinier. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that's that's what's going to happen in the future. And um, Geekisms will incorporate four modules of party games that you can play together or play apart or play two of. Um, and uh, one of them is mechanisms, and the other ones is thematicisms, and then there's gamerisms. And then there's uh, fidgetisms. So all the things that gamers do and don't realize they're doing, but they're doing, is is incorporated into this game, this modular party game. So sounds cool. We'll look for great. that in February. Yeah. Look forward. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. You know, no matter what happens, but it'll be fun. <laughs> I do have to yeah. say, you have one of the most positive attitudes I've seen for someone. Yeah. On Kickstarter, like you're 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 taking it a lot less seriously. The the fact you're willing to experiment and you see it as an experiment, and when it doesn't work, mm-hmm. it's just like a good thesis, right? You or sure. hypothesis. You put out your hypothesis, it fails. You then come up with a new thesis, and then you try the new hypothesis and keep experimenting. Yep. I think part of it is I'm just ha- I'm having fun. I'm just yeah. happy to be here, right? Like I'm happy to be making games and playing games and going to conventions and seeing all my friends who are also doing the same thing. It's a very rewarding experience and very rewarding career. So all of this extra, like all the extra Kickstarter experiments don't take away from my joy of the industry. Right. So I I think, I think that's a big part of it. Very cool. Well, this was a great talk. Now be sure to check out our blog at tabletopbellhop.com and click on gaming advice for other questions answered in blog form. Be sure to send us your questions over on the website under Ask the Bellhop or email us at questions at tabletopbellhop.com. Patreon patrons at the good tip or better level get their questions bumped to the top of the list. Speaking of our Patreon, a shout out and a thank you to our backers. Their support helps make this show possible. Misdirected Mark, join Phil, Bob, and Chris every Tuesday night, 845 Eastern, right here on Twitch, and they talk games and game mastering. They're currently doing a playthrough of Numenera that has been rather fascinating. Brian Kurtz, thank you. Duran Barnett, thanks for tuning in from the other side of the world. Joe Swick, thank you very much. Steve D., I hope the cooking is going well. He's someone who joins us in the chat room and tends to cook dinner while listening to the show. (laughs) And Jeff Seuss, good luck getting players for that DCC open table. Oh, that was the double bell. That means my shift is coming to an end and we're going to have to lock the front doors. Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media at Tabletop Bellhop, one word, or drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. And where is the best place for our listeners and viewers to find Daniel out there on the web? Uh, yeah, I'm, I live on Facebook, to be perfectly honest. And if you're in any of the Facebook groups that I help uh, admin and manage, then uh, you will be able to see all the cool and crazy fun community projects that we've got going. So I would, I would actually encourage folks to go to maybe Kickstarter Board Games uh, Facebook group. And, that, and that's a really good place to find all the fun things that we're doing there. So sort of, a, I'm trying to model it into a think tank, but we'll see what we'll see what happens. It's just a place for people to gather and talk about Kickstarter campaigns and fun stuff. Very cool. 
Now, if you do like the content we're providing here at Tabletop Bellhop and would like to support our efforts, please consider tipping the bellhop at patreon.com forward slash tabletop bellhop. Remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop live to hit your podcatchers and YouTube at 2 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For those of you here live, thank you for joining us. We'd like to invite you and Daniel to hang around and join us in the penthouse suite for an off-the-books after show. For Tabletop Bellhop Live, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. And I'm Daniel. Thank you, (laughs) and game on. The code word is Kickstarter.